Hello and welcome back to Tay Radio Marin. I am your host, Javier Vicuna, and today I am joined by my co-host, Anneli Reyes. And on today's show, we are joined here by Ariela Castillo, also known as Ari. Um, and she is part of the Victim Witness Unit. Uh, she is also the interim supervisor uh, for the county, uh, for the DA's office mm-hmm. of the County of Marin. Um, thank you so much for being with us today, Ari. Um, we're going to be talking about National Crime Victim Rights Week. Yep. Um, and yeah, uh, just introduce yourself to everyone. Thank you. Well, thank you, Javier. Um, I appreciate you guys having me on today so that I can talk a little bit more about um, our program, um, Victims' Rights Week, which is uh, from April 24th to April 29th. And then also see if you have, you guys have some questions for me about just uh, the DA's office in general, criminal justice process, um, you know, how do you get in this line of work, et cetera, here to just provide knowledge. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, we're really excited. You know, this is... Um One of the departments that I don't think we've talked about really all that much on the show, we've talked about domestic abuse, which I know is some of what the work that you work do help help work with. Um, But yeah, so moving on. uh, So right before we start talking about you and your roles, Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to ask both of you guys, what are you guys looking forward to this summer? This summer, I have summer school, so. Uh, um. <laughs> but summer school goes by quick. That's yeah. the thing. And there's other things you could be doing <laughs> outside of summer school. Um, what I'm really excited is the career fair that we're going to do for Tay. So that's something that I'm looking forward to. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. I like that. Hmm, I would say I got some concerts lined up. Going, you know, Ooh, concerts. Okay, what concerts? Uh, going to see Caliucci's at oh, the end of the that's month. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And I'm trying to see if I might go see. Um, just saw that Chase Center might have LL Cool J. Oh wow! Um, sometime cool. in the summer. He's still around, eh? Yeah, I know. No, he's, still, he's still doing it. Um, and then we actually help out sometimes at the Marin County Fair. Oh um, yeah, so that's right. We just started seeing that getting posted in the county, so we're kind of prepping for that. And I've actually gone myself just to enjoy it. So looking forward to just kind of like summer vibes and maybe traveling. But, you know, I haven't made plans yet on traveling. I see. I have a question. There was a fair right next to the freeway. Is there? (laughs) Yeah, that was like. Yeah, that was a weird like (laughs) random. I don't know what that was about. They sent us like an email saying like this parking lot won't be usable. Um, But it seemed like there were just like a random like two week little fair thing going on or um, i don't know if they were testing yeah. the rides before the f- actual fair i, I didn't go but yeah, it looked, looked kind of whack not yeah gonna lie. yeah it wasn't like the the actual county fair that's like the whole yeah. air, oh. lagoon area and all i that. think that's what everyone was expecting from that because from the emails and the advertising it made it seem like it was going to be like oh right. the fair is here early yeah. or something right but yeah no. no it was just like a small little yeah and I, you know i saw that they did a similar thing in san mateo like kind of testing so i think yeah. maybe they were just testing, testing the, the waters yeah mm, i'm not sure yeah because you could still get fair food too yeah um yeah. but it's just small like a smaller bundle it's like, yeah. a, like an appetizer yeah. for the actual <laughs> fair i like that um, that's good news because i i literally thought there wasn't going to be any fair this summer because <laughs> no 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 if, the, if that was the marin county fair that yeah, no, that, not, that would have yeah, been set yeah <laughs> um but for myself thank you both for sharing yeah, um here, that, that's really exciting 
um, the summer is my birthday oh. month, so in July is my birthday. Yeah. So uh, I'll probably go out with some friends, uh, and I'll probably enjoy the Marin County Fair. I haven't enjoyed the Marin. Well, you know, the Marin County Fair wasn't open yeah. for like two years because yeah. of the pandemic. Yeah. And then a year after, I went out to LA mm. that week, so I wasn't even here. And now I think finally I'll be able to enjoy the hey. county fair after. Yeah, three or four <laughs> years now. So I'm looking forward to that. Actually, check it out. I don't know who the musical guest will be. Um, last year it was Sheila E, mm-hmm. um, which was kind of cool. Um, but we'll see what this year. One time, one year back in like 2009, mm-hmm. uh, it was like the Temptations or something oh, wow. like that. So you know, I mean, it's not like I think you know it ain't Bad Bunny, but it's gonna yeah. be some, it's gonna be someone. <laughs> I think at some point there was like Selena Gomez was oh, on there, and oh, I think really? Zendaya. What? Oh wow! Like all these Disney stars. I remember oh, when I was like 13 or 14. What? In Marin County. Yeah, the County Fair. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm I'm being serious. Yeah. I've I've I remember one of my cousins met Zendaya in hey. Thoroughfare High School. Hey. Whoa! What? Ah. What? Yeah. Wow! I didn't know that. Yeah. Be like, That's hey, crazy. Zendaya, remember me? but uh yeah thank you both for sharing so uh moving on uh ari i just i just wanted to start by asking so what made you go into the field uh, of this field of work well yeah yeah. good question get that question a lot (laughs) (laughs) um you know for me personally i can't speak for everyone right but i've always had like a passion to help others um i'm very honest about um i'm originally from la and um not gonna lie i was definitely not um running in the best crowds and i grew up in east la and oh okay through, yeah yeah in, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i was you know um and i definitely got like sucked into the gang life and, mm-hmm. and all that um and actually moved to the barrier to get away from that because mm. i could tell that i was going to get further into that yeah. um and so based on my experience working with that not working <laughs> being part of that community um and just kind of seeing the struggles that we were kind of facing in la at that time i wanted to be able to give back to my community or a community yeah um on top of just being a helpful person and so advocacy gives that opportunity to give a voice to those that have been impacted by some by crime or just in general of something that's not pleasant Mm -hmm. um and really just giving a voice to those that might not feel like they have the strength to speak out for themselves and that's kind of the empowerment that i get from being in advocacy that's so powerful. Yeah, yeah, that that I think that's the reason a lot of us do work with the right. community or work right. with these is because we experience it ourselves or we yeah. see it and we're like, you know what? I want to fix this. I yeah. don't want to <laughs> fix it or just tell someone like, you know, you yeah. can re- hey, there's someone out here that's faced something similar to you. You're not by yourself. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people just feel like they're just it's on them and they're the only ones facing it. And then when yeah. they meet someone that's gone through something and then they've maybe made a change in their life, there's like hope for them to do that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Did you want to ask? I think that makes it more, even more powerful um, about your job position because of your experience that you've done. Right. And then you can like connect even more with the people Mm -hmm. who are going through it. Um, Especially like I've learned a lot about empathy and empathy is really important to make that connection with other people. So um, it's amazing that you've made that change because it could be hard, you know. Um, uh, yeah, especially when it's like you're surrounded by people who think it's normal to do certain things that Mm -hmm. are not, you know, um, legal. But, um, I was wondering where do you fall in? Cause you said you work in court. So Mm -hmm. like, where do you fall in that justice system? system? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I predominantly only work in criminal court. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, that's, I wouldn't 
I guess I would say our specialty. Um, we kind of can generally give some ideas of family court and civil, but we don't have that's not we don't know how those laws work all the way. Yeah. But our um, our role really is to actually provide education about the criminal justice process in criminal court, mm-hmm. um, kind of dispel any misinformation about how a case is going to be processed and then um, uh, give, you know, make sure that a witness or a victim is understanding like what is actually happening in each of their each step of their case because it can be very confusing and also uh, victims don't necessarily ever have engaged in this process and so it's foreign and even more foreign for minority communities that uh, have experiences with their own um, country's government that might have corruption and all they think about is that Mm -hmm. um, or they think um, you know, there's biases with if I engage the court system and I'm an immigrant, is that going to, you know, cause me issues? Yeah, my paperwork, or, or that's okay. why I don't want to report. Right. So we are there to definitely bridge that communication, but also be a liaison between the victim and the district attorney that's assigned to the case um, because DAs can't always um, be in touch with the victims. Or we're yeah. kind of like that first line of um, contact with the DA's office. And could you explain what a what who the DA is like? What is the sure. district attorney? What's the district yeah. attorney's office? Yeah, I love that. I think yeah. it's good that I can explain that because I think because I hear it all the time. Yeah. You know, I hear everyone's <laughs> like, "Oh, I came the DA office or right, something." Or, right, right. Yeah. So a district attorney is an attorney that works for the county that they're assigned. So, for example, in San Rafael, or is Lori Frugoli? So Lori Frugoli is the um, district attorney for the county, like the top the main district attorney. Then there are uh, deputy district attorneys mm. that are the ones who work the cases that uh, come to the DA's office. So Lori's the face of the DA's office. Um, she used to be a, a prosecutor, which is what a district attorney is, a prosecutor. Um, but once you get elected to be the district attorney of the county, mm-hmm. you know she does a lot more face work with um, just having the community know that the DA's office is there and she will make some, you know, higher decisions on, um, cases that are, you know, high profile or, um, have multiple victims or something like that. She does give her opinion, but she's not in court actually going to trial on the cases. There are attorneys under her who are the ones that do that. And so each DA is a deputy district attorney and their role is to, represent the victim as mm. the victim in the county but not their private attorney they're uh, representing the interest of the safety of marine county gotcha mm. thank you for that okay. so from what i <laughs> understand that was a lot yeah <laughs> so, okay so let's say there's a there's a crime committed mm-hmm. and so there's the person who committed the crime mm-hmm. and then there's the witness mm-hmm. and so there's a an attorney for the person who committed the crime right and the let's say like the the person created did an assault or something okay like that. so uh they both have attorneys right but f- for like let's say like there is a witness that's where you come in you lead them mm-hmm. so with that scenario there's the, the we call them defendants or suspects they're called suspects when they're part of an investigation with the police department then when they get to criminal court, that's when they're called defendants. Mm. Um, but so basically a defendant, yes, by law, they have to have their own attorney for any criminal case to go forward for them. Mm-hmm. Um, they can get a public defender who is like, so 
it's the DA and then there's a public defender's office. So it's the same thing. They work for the county in helping represent those accused of crimes. And the DA's office represents those victimized in a crime. Um, and so when there's a witness or a victim, but the DA represents both the victim and the witness in whichever, in that assault mm -hmm. case gotcha. example. Oh, wow. And I know you mentioned about like working with all ages, right? Yes. <laughs> so how do you deal with children who are witness and it's like very hard for them to like mm. say what they say? To, to, for them to say what's happened. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, it's actually hard for children and even adults because we, let's say, you know, the youngest child I've worked with probably was, um, four years old wow all the way to we work with seniors you know 87 years old right mm -hmm. that have been victimized yeah um and those are two ends of two spectrums right senior citizens can have a hard time understanding the system mm -hmm. and so can children and they both can be apprehensive about um participating um but with children we have um a room inside our district attorney's office that's very child-friendly has coloring <laughs> books it has movies gotcha. we have yeah. netflix and we invite them there to kind of actually come and get to know us um one-on-one -on -one, um get to know the da um and then sometimes if they are apprehensive of talking it's just more like hey we're here for you um when you're ready you can come and let us know um you know we know it might take you some time but we're here to listen. So we just kind of build that rapport slowly and then hope that they do. But we are not there to pressure them. And then we also uh, understand that it, they might not ever want to um, participate or talk more. And so we have to meet them where they're at. Mm -hmm. And so going towards, you know, the, the victims, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you were mentioning how you also help out people who, again, have an immigration status mm -hmm. that is unknown. Um do they both so the, let's say a u.s citizen mm -hmm. and someone again with an unknown immigration right. status do they both have the same rights yes okay. yes and that's the misconception that a lot of minority communities uh face is that they feel that they don't have those same rights or they feel that those rights are only reserved for those with citizenship status and it's actually right. if you're a victim of a crime in the state of california can't speak about every other state but in the state of california those same rights apply to you just like a U.S. citizen. Mm -hmm. um, so you should, uh, minority communities should not feel apprehensive about making a report. I understand that there's, those feelings are coming from all kinds of different factors that just by me saying it, it's not going to dismantle <laughs> their fear. Right. But uh, we are trying to make sure that they understand that they have the rights, they can come and report, we want them to report, and yeah. they can seek justice. And the justice applies to them no matter what. There is no um, situation in criminal court when you're a victim or a witness where your immigration uh, status will ever come up, will, will ever be discussed, will ever be asked about you. And uh, in the contrary, um, victims of crimes for certain crimes like domestic violence, sexual assault, homicide, um, they actually have rights to apply for what is called the U visa. Um, and that gives you um, more of a leverage to work on your status of residency um, against other, um, I guess other applicants that are just applying. Um, they've been, let's say they've been here 10 years and they're applying. When you have a U visa, you're saying I've been a victim of a crime. Mm -hmm. And so I actually have the right to apply and have my application be brought forward a little bit more. 
Gotcha. Mm. Yeah. And so if someone is an immigrant and they they are the person that makes the crime. Oh yeah. Hmm. Is it does it it doesn't apply those rights, right? No. So um in the on the opposite end, if you're the person committing the crime, you do have the rights to have an attorney. You have the rights to have um, your language interpreter. Um, so we have, uh, you know, interpreters that speak Brazilian, Portuguese, uh, well, Portuguese, um, French. Uh, we have Quiche. Oh, wow. Um, we That's have cool. uh, Mom. And then we have obviously Spanish translators and then obviously other languages like uh, Cantonese and Mandarin yeah. and things of that nature. Um, so those are the rights. They have to understand what's going on in court. Um, but the, the rights for them to apply for a U visa, all that gets uh dismantled for them and if anything if they have you know depending on what their immigration status is if you commit a crime you do face the possibility of deportation deportation yeah. that makes sense yeah. yeah okay and how is like i've always heard about the word ice mm. so how does the ice get involved with like the court oh so i'm glad you're bringing that up because yeah. actually so we don't uh state because so there's federal and then there's state level courts. Mm -hmm. So state level courts are not allowed to engage with ICE. Um, we, uh, you know, we are not gonna tell ICE, hey, hey this, case this, is, yeah, this, this is... case happened. Like yeah. there's this, you know, all these victims that I don't know. We're in our iffy with their your legal status potentially. Um, so no, by law we're not allowed to engage ICE. Um, now a defendant when they do um, commit a crime. And let's say they're going to be sentenced um, to a prison term. There is an immigration committee that has to review their case to uh, determine if they are going to be referred to ICE on the defendant side. Mm. But um, but on the victim and witness side, we don't. The DA's office doesn't engage. We don't report. Um, we have nothing to do with ICE. Right. Um, that's only on the defendant side. And so, how does this? crime like become federal like um case oh that's a good question um sometimes it becomes federal for example when it uh starts let's say that there's a domestic violence case mm -hmm. we go investigate or the police investigate and out yeah. of that develops a potential trafficking ring oh. which has happened that is when um, then we have to go to the federal so system. It's a big, that's like yeah, a lot. Yeah. Depending, it could be either a big ring um, because now you're bringing folks from other countries. Other or states probably other states. Yeah. And so once other states, once people are crossing state lines or being brought from other states, yeah, I know. then yeah. federal gets involved. Gotcha. Federal can also get involved with labor trafficking as mm -hmm. well. Um, but there can also get involved when uh, there's been homicide cases where the defendant has already been in federal prison, um, let's say maybe 15 years ago for mm -hmm. similar crime, and now they've committed the same, then the federal, we engage the federal system. I'm trying to think, there was one case where Homeland Security called me, and it was a trafficking case where the victim was trafficked um, in different states, but then had somehow escaped and was living here in Marin oh, wow. and wanted some victim services. And so they called us to see what we could do for them. And then we discovered that because the crime is in another state or the predominant criminal activity happened, let's say in, in Ohio uh -huh. or something. But they live here. Yeah, but they live here. So we have to connect them with Ohio services because the crime is going to get prosecuted there. Not, it's not necessarily going to get prosecuted in California because the crime didn't happen here. But interesting, we do get those calls from FBI and Homeland Security. Wow, 
to help victims out. But you're talking more on a, hum- on a trafficking level, um, right? Mm-hmm. Or if a defendant has a lot of, like, has prior federal uh, history, or like if someone were like murdering people, yeah, or, like yeah, in different like ma- states or yeah, something, exactly. And or, then they get caught here or something yep, like that, right? Yep, exactly. And yeah. Do they have to go to that? Like, let's say you said the Ohio. Like, mm-hmm. Did they? Did the person who asked for like the, the help? This, uh, does she have to go all the way to Ohio? No. So she, no. So she has to, I mean, she might have to go to Ohio if, like the case goes to trial. Um, mm-hmm. I've had a case where the crime happened in New York. Um, family was living here. They actually, they're actually Central American from Guatemala. They spoke no uh, Spanish, only uh, Quiche. Wow. Um, and so we, we had to actually get someone to interpret for us to speak with the family. Um, and I actually had to work with the district attorney's office in New York to um, help them build the report because they um, did not feel comfortable speaking with New York because they had built so much rapport with me mm-hmm. that um, uh, I wanted to make sure that they felt like, you know, I'm giving a warm handoff. But in that case, the family did have to go to New York to do what is called a grand jury. Um, each state has a different process. We don't do grand juries in California, but in New York, before a case can be chosen to be prosecuted, a grand jury, so that means like literally a jury, hears the, what the case might be about and they decide if there's enough evidence to file the case. Mm-hmm. So they did have to go and testify and I had to help with transportation and set that up. Um, but the victim with Ohio, and, um, she just to receive services, no, we just connected her with the district attorney's office in Ohio. They have their own victim witness program. Then they help her connect with services. Um, they can also help transfer the services to California, but they have to make that, uh, they have to like send a paperwork, uh, to this state. That's so cool that you guys get to kind of, you know, contact with all these different <laughs> DA offices yeah. in, in, in the United yeah. States. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, but actually I want to talk again real quick just for some of our viewers who are, you know, younger. Sure. So let's say someone under the age of 18, mm-hmm. right? Um, they get into a domestic abuse, like they're being domestically abused. Okay. They can go, where would they go to make a report? Or is there a website online where they can make the report? Or how does that work? So if they're under age, age yeah. um, I'll give you two scenarios. There's there, the victim is underage, and but the person committing the domestic violence is an adult, mm-hmm. say, or physical abuse. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so the they still should report to law enforcement. That's really the first avenue. But most kids under 18 um, don't report to law enforcement. They report to someone in school. Mm. Uh, it, some, it, most of those cases come from a school counselor, from a school resource officer. Uh, sometimes they'll tell a friend who tells the parent, then tells someone else. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of gets reported. Um, uh, sometimes they tell their doctor, their therapist, um, and that's how the case gets referred. It always will get referred to law enforcement to do that follow-up investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's say they're 17 and something happens, they definitely should report it to their local police agency mm-hmm. to for it to be investigated and then it'll get forwarded to forward us. It to you guys. So gotcha. if they are underage and they're dealing with some type of domestic violence situation, um, once they report to law enforcement, law enforcement has to contact our office to do what is a, uh, called a forensic interview. It's a special kind of interview that can only, that only children have access to mm. that is done not in the police department, but in a, another um, place called the Jeanette Prandy Center, which is just down here by on those gamos kind of past the sheriff's office. Mm. Gotcha. Um, it's kind of in the woody area, but um, <laughs> it has a, a like a child friendly room. It's kind of 
what you see in movies where it's a double-way mirror. One side has the DA and all the team that's watching the interview. And on the other side is the interviewer uh, interviewing the kid. But they're, like, coloring. Um, or if they're 17 or 16, they might just be sitting there talking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and so we do that special interview. It gets recorded. And that's if we don't do that, then the case can't move forward. It's part mm. of the investigation process. If a kid gets interviewed by the police and not through that forensic interview, it, it does create issues with the case now if it's two kids against each other yeah um that goes straight to the juvenile court system and we do assist in that court system um it's a little bit trickier because that gets only assigned to specifically assigned da and that da then lets us know which cases we need to engage with because once it's two juveniles Records are sealed and information is really private, so we don't have access to it as, as easily as um, adult versus child. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know for a lot of youth, um, I guess they don't really know much about the rules or like um, what is an assault. Yeah. So if you want to like tell us more. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that'd be important. I think, that, yeah, I think sure. that's important. I, I think assault can range from different levels. There's assault with deadly force. Um, so that means using some a weapon or your actual physical body uh, to prevent someone from physically moving out of whatever you're doing. Yep. Then there's battery, which is, uh, and I think I should actually go backwards a little bit. Assault with a deadly weapon, it, it, it starts already at a felony. Battery um, is a misdemeanor. Um, but if you injure the person to an extent that the injuries have to be significant for it to then move to a, a felony, felony. Okay. so you have assault with deadly weapon you have battery um assault can also come down with uh it's domestic violence the the legal definition for domestic violence in a charge is corporal injury on a specified person is the penal code definition mm-hmm. that can also count as assault um I'm trying to think of of other definitions but pretty much assault is anytime someone is either physically preventing you from leaving the situation um, or using some type of force against you. Hmm. Okay. So when I when I was thinking about that, I, it reminded me of like a video I saw that there is like a car trying to get out, but there is a car, another car, like holding them back, like preventing them from leaving mm. the place. I wouldn't, that's not a (laughs) assault. (laughs) No, uh, because assault has to be like a physical Physical contact with the other person. Well, what if the person crashed their car into them? Um, Then that would be a a hit, uh, uh, like a hidden, (laughs) hidden, hidden hit. Hidden hit. I mean, not hidden, but that (laughs) would, I mean, you could assault someone like with a vehicle and Mm. then it would be a deadly, deadly weapon. weapon. That could be a vehicle. So a vehicle counts as a deadly weapon. Because it is. It is, yeah. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, if someone just hits you, you know, it depends. Are they drinking? Are mm-hmm. they not? Mm-hmm. If, it, if it's just a hit, then it will come down as like property damage or something mm-hmm. like that. So it seems like a, there's like a lot of factors that yeah. go into whether, you know, yeah. the, the severity right. of the charges. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. each charge has like a like elements that have to be met for them to be a felony or for them to be a misdemeanor. And that's across the board. Battery, assault, um, burglary, you know, there's residential uh all kind, you know, DUI with injuries or just regular DUI. Um, so all those are different uh, terms for kind of the same thing, but they all have different elements that make them a misdemeanor or a felony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you see all like 
like very different cases. Mm -hmm. like, all, all of them from petty theft. I went to Target and stole $500 worth of, I don't know, candy yeah. or clothes. And those don't usually get an advocate like me assigned because uh, no one was injured. No one was hurt. And, and the, really the victim is, is Target. So we do send them information about their rights as a... Company. business yeah um but we don't really engage in like services with them um but so anything from petty theft all the way to homicide domestic violence you know sexual assault duis um kind of everything yeah and i wanted to ask what do you think is the most common um like chart like crime a crime here in marin <laughs> i get that all the time and i'm glad you asked me because i can list off the three top i'm going to be straight up dui number one wow um i you know we get an in custody that, that, that makes sense because there's a lot of checkpoints here a lot and there's just a lot of people that <laughs> you know like to go drive under the after yeah. work and then they just drive um so a lot of duis we get an in custody report every morning and i you know let's say there's 15 in custody people out of the those that list probably like seven of those are like duis and usually it's dui direct, reckless driving dui with injuries um so that's number one number two is domestic violence mm. for sure yeah um and i think number three is other or maybe maybe theft might be the number three um but pretty much everything is other uh, but the top two are DUI, DUIs domestic and violence yeah, yeah. Wow. well for thank sure. you for sharing that info you're welcome uh we'll we'll talk a bit more about that um we're actually going to go on our break real quick. Um, so we're going to play a song by our good old friend Ismael Lara. And we will be uh, right back after this song. This is I try to crush my spirit. But my Chicano soul don't fall. I'm 100 with it. Mi gente dice al 100. Puro pa' delante. Pa' atrás a más que se huecó en vivo ya verás. Vamos. Adelante, vamos, vamos, pa adelante, vamos, vamos, pa adelante, vamos, vamos, yeah. So who's the victor? You Roman silver, the 30 coins of Judas. I'm at dead gold, abundance of wealth with them who never told. I'm the mind alliance, youngest to find, the storm of stars and all the science. Duality the serpent, don't misinterpret. I'm fine wisdom, age in the temple of the serpent. I'm the flame and of course poems. Wisdom that hits the soul. Nobility, we still afford to these hard to fight every day. We point to blue victory, not to fade the game. I'm good at the child princess, anything on her horse, ready for war. We don't die, we regenerate. Victory, our fate. On a cool breeze, I move with ease. My intellect stays strapped. I embrace my heritage, the brown, white, and the black. I got my mind on my studies, and my studies on my mind, ready to hit back with facts. Black, black jack. So, what's the meaning? Historical victory from the beginning. Beginning. Hello and welcome back. So uh, I just wanted to let everyone know just a couple announcements. So Listos California is the state of California's emergency preparedness campaign. Uh, you can find five easy steps to prepare for any natural disaster at their website. Uh, you can also text L-I-S-T-O-S-C-A to 72345 to receive tips in English or Spanish on how to prepare for natural disasters. You will receive one tip per day at the time of your choice over the course of one week. Um, we will also, tonight is our open mic night here at the Multicultural Center of Marin. Um, so if you're hearing right now, 
Come on down to the MCM over here at 709 Fifth Avenue, uh, San Rafael, California. We hope to see some of you there. Uh, we're going to have, you know, our good old friend Ismael, who you just heard. He's going to be there helping and supporting as well as David and I's, um, you know, co-hosting. So, yeah, the event's from 6 to 8 p.m. There will be free pizza and lots of performances. So we hope to see you there. Um, and then next weekend on May 6th, uh, next Saturday, uh, is the Wellness Festival over at Terralinda High School. Um, we'll be there doing some outreach at 12, uh, and we hope to see some of y'all there. As it should be another great event. So, yeah, that's that's kind of all the announcements I have for now. Um, but, Anna Lee, uh, did you want to yeah, start I things wanna, off here? Yeah. Um, for me, um, I was really surprised that you are from Guatemala. <laughs> <laughs> I know, girl. I don't look it. Not Spanish in me. Because, um, well, for me, well, I, it's kind of like there's a lot of Guatemalans here, but yeah. <laughs> for some reason, I, I, I it's because the thing is, like, I see a lot of Guatemalans, but there's very few who work in the county. So oh it's yeah, like really surprising, <laughs> but like very an honor. To, to see a Guatemalan work in the in the office. Thank you. Um, Gotta represent. Yeah. Yes. Chapina love, y'all. Yes. And so that's why my question is, how did you get from, get to there? To, to working in the county? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To getting there to the county. Yeah. Um, because you told me mm-hmm. a little bit about your story. Yeah. That you lived in Guatemala until... Mm-hmm. Until uh, I was eight years old eight wow. years old yeah, yeah. um yeah that's a good question Ooh, I gotta <laughs> think about that um but yeah you know I, I think having that lived experience of uh being an, pretty much an immigrant myself um is the you know driving force of why I kind of wanted to come and work in this county a little bit of background I, I've worked in many agencies throughout the bay area mm-hmm. from the peninsula from san francisco oakland yeah. Um, and actually, because I was predominantly in the San Francisco kind of side, I didn't have a lot of experience with Marin. I mean, when you live in the city, when do you cross the Golden Gate Bridge? And uh, no, not as nah. often as uh, you would cross, you know, the the Bay Bridge. Right. Um, but once I got to this community, I was like, oh wow, this is where my like Guatemalan folks are at. Yeah. And I felt a lot more sense of like pride to like be working for the county. One to have more representation because. It's Marin, and you know, there's that was the representation. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, oh great, you know, I can I can provide that representation. And then once I started seeing like the bulk of the cases, I was like, oh wow, there's a lot of Guatemalan folks here um, that that need a lot of support. Yeah. So I felt even more um, honored to be able to help that community. And it, um, yeah. No, ahead. sorry, I I was just saying that I think it's just when you were saying that. Domestic abuse is one of the yeah. second most things. I think it's just implemented into our culture, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, just mm-hmm. Latino men tend to be very into that machismo culture, yep. Yep. which leads to a lot of these domestic abuse charges. Because yeah. I know, I know, not just Guatemalans, oh, but yeah. Mexicans, oh, Peruvians, yeah. Central oh, yeah. America, all oh. Central Americans. Yeah, they all face these very similar issues because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you know i hear neighbors all the time fighting yeah. um verbally and you know you can hear like some door slamming or some yeah something hitting the walls and then the police come or something like yeah. it's just and also again duis again also our culture Cultural. is implemented so hard with drinking like there you gotta drink there. everywhere right yeah. yeah um i've seen some people drink like a whole eight pack mm-hmm. of modelos mm-hmm. and then drive yeah. their whole entire family and their yeah. big truck at, right after you yeah. know what i mean like 
stuff like that just is so unfortunately common yeah. in this in this community. Um, so that's why, again, like I just think it's interesting that the, there's a connection there, right? Very right. obvious connection, and, and it helps. You know, when I work with victims that are of any minority group of Mex, you know, Mexican, Peruvian, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, Brazilian, Salvadorian, um, Salvadorian. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a I can understand how they got into this situation, situation right whether they've been the victim of a drunk driver who was also latino and they're like oh my god what why was he driving or to a domestic violence situation which is a lot more common because even just not mexican communities but central american communities and depending on um the region you are there's this um also cultural norm at least the only aspect i can give is from a mayan perspective mayan culture has this norm of alcoholism is because domestic violence is very common in Mayan cultures, um, particularly, and they also have, the, like you said, have your machista views. Yeah, and they carry that from their culture here, um, and so they think it's normal. I've had detectives tell me that they've gone to domestic violence incidents where they're trying to explain to the the woman, "Hey, you know, we're trying to make help you feel safer," and they're actually beating on the detectives because they're scared that once their husband or partner gets taken away they won't ever come back because their mentality is in guatemala or in my or salvador or honduras uh when the police come and they take my husband away my husband never comes back Mm -hmm. and so it's a constant um kind of work that we have to do to uh, educate that community of in your country that's how it happens but here in the u.s there's a system in place and so would you would you consider that like stockholm syndrome in a way where like the victim just kind of just turns into this mindset where they just constantly just even though they're being abused and even though they're taking all this like they still love the person or fall in love like you know what i mean slightly Uh, it's slightly i know it's not exactly stockholm syndrome but it's a very similar thing yeah yeah because there's factors like there's the biggest there's a lot of financial dependency and the kids and the kids once they have kids and there's a financial dependency it creates a big barrier for the women to leave and i'm not saying just women there's men that have that are also domestic violence survivors yeah um and the the same thing they they're staying for the kid they're staying because they literally have no other financial resource and that's the biggest push that we want to provide to domestic violence survivors is of you know creating financial stability for themselves so that they don't have to go back to their abuser um for that codependency and then there's obviously the threat of immigration status so that the abuser is uh, threatening them i'm going to report you to ice you're going to lose your kids so they use all the systems to keep that person inside the relationship yeah. and what is stockholm or <laughs> so i mean it's just uh it's just like a like a way of saying like so let's say someone an attachment an attachment it's just a weird thing where if over time let's say you get kidnapped for example okay you get kidnapped <laughs> and then the person uh, you know, you're with that person for so long and they're like doing all these terrible things to you that over time you just start like feeling like a like a connection yeah. to this person like, where like you can't like you're you actually start liking or mm-hmm. loving this person mm-hmm. over time. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. And it actually happens, which it, is really weird. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, there's that case. God, what's her name? Uh, there's a couple cases that yeah, are like that. There was one here in the Bay Area. I don't somewhere like like Stockton or Sacramento where. She was kidnapped when she was, I don't know, nine, and then was with this, the kidnappers for, I don't know, like 
20 years or something like that. She had already had two babies by the kidnapper. Um, but that's because she developed that Stockholm syndrome where she started developing, uh, I wouldn't say feelings, but it was all normal to her. Yeah. And that's all she knew. Uh, and because then they're like, how come you never escape? Because there's so many opportunities for her to escape. And it's because she's just created this bond. Exactly. Uh, this as connection, a slight yeah. survivor, survival mechanism. But it's just, it's... Uh, uh, so strong the bond that they they just can't pull away until something comes about or right. someone reports, yeah. which is what happened with that case. That's mm-hmm. really interesting because like that's where it shows like how psychology is like Very. part of the social. Oh, oh absolutely, social yeah. System. Of all, those, yeah, yeah. Do you guys connect some of the clients mm-hmm. with psychologists yes, and, and therapy definitely. and all that yeah, kind of stuff? A, yeah, the biggest um, that kind of request is obviously housing. And um, counseling services mm-hmm. and, and victims have the right to have some of those services. Um, yeah. And we definitely engage them with all kind, you know, Center for Domestic Peace, Community Violence Solutions. We have a list of therapists that work um, with our office. And so we send that list to them. We are slightly I wouldn't say we're counselors, but we you know, we help. We empathize, we listen, we're there as a sounding board. Um, and that sometimes victims just need to just spur it out. Yeah. You know, word, word vomit out. everything to uh-huh. us and that's all they needed. Um, and and some are need more. And so we make sure, you know, we connect folks with Canal Alliance as well. Um, I've had victims, I've had to figure out where I can get uh, a Cantonese uh, therapist or a Quiche speaking therapist. Um, and there are Quiche speaking there therapists? There are not, not a lot here in San Rafael, but we've found some in Richmond. Oh, wow. um, we've um, found some in San Francisco. And that's really you know, cool. Or they or they're like, you know what, we're going to try limited Spanish that they mm-hmm. can and see if they can work with that. I've had, I have Spanish speaking victims that prefer to work with English speaking therapists and they don't mm. mind using a translator and they just kind of like it. Interesting. Yeah. It's, yeah. Interesting. Well. Yeah. And I, I wanted to go back to my first question. <laughs> so like, how did you start with the education and what type of like, I don't know if your bachelor's degree mm-hmm. counted for, for you to get into to this position? Yeah. Because maybe some youth are really yeah. interested in being <laughs> one of your roles. Yeah. I would say, um, you know, definitely in this role, you definitely need a bachelor's degree. Um, it does give you some insight on... Um, like a criminal justice Yeah, degree? criminal justice. Um, you know, the the more the better, but um, mm-hmm. uh, but really just a bachelor's degree. And, and if there's an emphasis in psychology or um, counseling is really helpful. Um, there are some advocates that have master's degrees in behavioral health. There are advocates that... We have an advocate that used to be a former police officer. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also have an advocate that used to be a former social worker. Um, so they kind of cross over the platforms, but I would say just if you're, you know, thinking about, oh, what do I want to study? Criminal justice gives you a broad overview. Um, and then you can kind of pinpoint where you want to go. If you want to go into law enforcement, into advocacy, into social work. Um, so definitely bachelors, definitely a bachelor's for sure. It is a minimum requirement. So after college, what did you do? I, <laughs> um, I went straight into it. So I, uh, I am an SS State graduate, go Gators. Yeah. Um, yeah. And at least for my program, for the criminal justice program, <laughs> we did have to do an internship. Um, so I started doing uh, an internship at the federal um, probations department in San Francisco. And then I also did an internship at the Alameda District Attorney's uh, Office in their victim witness program, which both gave me insights of advocacy and also um, kind of supervision on the federal level. That's when I started learning. Uh, I really like to, I don't want to supervise 
defendants or people that have been accused of crimes that really want to work with those that have been victimized. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, once I finish those internships through my connections there, which I do think and I always promote, inter- if you can do an internship, definitely do it. Um, it helps you network. Um, do you guys have internships available? At- we not for your department. our particular department, but that's some that's a good idea. I like that you brought that up. Uh, something to think about. But the DA's office does have internships for anyone that's interested in potentially becoming an attorney or an investigator or just to see how the criminal justice system works. And then if they decide to go to law school, sometimes they could come back and become an attorney. Um, but uh, once I did my internships, I uh, decided to start working actually in prison programs um, with uh, female uh, offenders that were trying to re-enter into society and uh, reunify with their children. Mm. Um, and that gave me a lot of insight on the difficulty of their that side um, and also um, really hardened me mm-hmm. about um, some of the barriers that they face when engaging those that are not necessarily in that system. And then from there, I moved to working with children um, and then into rape crisis center and then in, back into the district attorney's office in Oakland. Um, and that's, you know, kind of where I went. And then they're also always looking for bilingual folks, for sure. So if you speak more than one language, actually at any county, not every, well, most county, <laughs> not every, but most counties uh, actually pay you more if you speak more than one language, especially in Spanish. So Did you have to take like a special test before? Yeah. I yes, know you, you do yeah. have to take a special, a special test, test to yeah. uh, see how proficient you are. Yeah. Um, because the expectation is that you're going to be translating legal documents um, for, so that's, yeah, that's big. for victims or even translating. Uh, we help DAs um, translate uh, uh, plea forms, plea agreements directly to victims. So we'll have like a conference call and the DA will speak in English and I'm like, translating spanish this when, is what it will be <laughs> when i think of that i just remember like as a kid i don't know if you were in this position <laughs> as a kid or or maybe you yeah. yourself as well too but like being like eight or nine years old your parents not knowing any english and just having to go over these like super important legal documents and trying to <laughs> translate at the literally. age of eight or nine literally like, yeah that, i had to do that so much yeah. as a kid and i remember i just it's just crazy you know like, yeah the expectations. Yeah. I think a lot of us that have parents that um, are Spanish speaking predominantly and they had difficulties understanding those documents, even for school, you know, we have to be like, hey, mom, this is like this for, yeah. for I don't know, I'm going on a field trip or they need you to sign this because we're, I don't know, making a change. Right. Um, and having, you know, all of us at eight or nine or 10 are already like expert interpreters and translators really for our families yeah Mm. yeah and when you were talking about like that you really wanted to work with the um witnesses Mm -hmm. um i was like thinking so do you get the people once it's declared that the person is guilty from the other side no so we we engage with witnesses or victims uh once they've uh Right after they filed the report and the investigation is closed from the police department, uh, they send their police report to our office, and then that's when we engage with them. So we, and then from that moment on, we we stay with them all the way till the end of their case, whether it's a guilty verdict. So mm-hmm. we engage them way before that even um, occurs. Wow! Yeah. And have you ever had a case where you had someone who said they were a witness? But were declared guilty? Um, not necessarily. I think uh, there's been instances where witnesses lied, have yeah, have <laughs> said this in the police report, and then came to court and 
said the opposite yeah. or or vice versa and that's or, never a good sign <laughs> no that does not help the case <laughs> no. uh, and um or the or they've done um i'm trying to think uh let's say they, they said that oh there's a hearing where they have to give their testimony of what happened and they you know under oath say that this is the truth and then we look back and we're like wait actually it's not originally yeah it's not lining up here so but so once you take an oath and you're going to say the truth, you you are advised that you can be prosecuted for lying under oath. Does it happen that frequently? Not, um, not as much, but but they are aware that that's a possibility, but not from the get-go. Like uh, if uh, someone's lying when the police are interviewing them, that's a police's job to determine if someone's being well, yeah. honest or not. And then we review it even further. Um, and if we think mm, this is weird, then we ask the police to kind of follow up on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I feel like also a lot of people um, kind of get influenced by like crime shows, yeah. right? And the way crime shows come out, like <laughs> they're a friend and an enemy. Yeah, like what what are your, what are your thoughts on that? On like how oh. crime shows and all that? Trust me, I'm a crime show lover. Uh-huh. I love everything, and I probably should not be going home and watching more crime shows after like CSI, <laughs> CSI, SVU, <laughs> um, you know, all the documentaries, all the Netflix, you know, serial killer, Night Stalker stuff. Yeah. Um, I always tell everyone, I love those shows. That's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, gives you some insight, but it's completely uh, drama- dramatized. And, Dramati- yeah, yeah, dramatized. And uh, it is not truthful of how fast the case will move. That's, I think. <laughs> yeah, they go like the pacing oh, is yeah. like They're that. Like, I found a, a hair and now we're here and now <laughs> guilty. And then that hair follicle cracked the case and it was done in like a week. Like, <laughs> that is literally a lie. <laughs> That's not, yeah. no, not going to happen. Um, that's the biggest misconception victims and witnesses have in their cases. That mm-hmm. why is it taking forever? Like I didn't think it was going to be six months later, or a year later, or two years. We're like, no, bro. Like it's literally from the day that you're you get the case assigned with our office, it's going to be three years yeah. by the time your case resolves. And it and so many factors happen. If it's a felony charge, it's going to take even longer. Yeah. It, and it's and the biggest misconception is that. Defendants have a lot of rights in criminal mm-hmm. court and uh, victims have rights as well. But defendants have the right to choose how fast the case moves. Gotcha. And so that really frustrates victims because they're like, well, I just want it to be done. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. you don't get to decide that. It's really the defendant that gets to decide that. And most of the time they're going to take their time. Doing sure all that, that stuff. Yeah. You know, their rights are being met. So, Yeah yeah well thank you for thank you for that insight yeah because i feel like it's the same way with like um doctor like dramas yeah right you know they dramatize this and then like oh we'll fix his leg do this intense surgery all in like a day or right right? the pacing is just completely off in those shows yeah yeah Um, the same thing yeah yeah so so they're not helpful and what what are your thoughts on like the dramatization you know speaking of this like Mm. again i notably last year the jeffrey dahmer you know, bring that the show yeah. came out. Yeah. And about that show, do you think it's like a good thing that they keep like highlighting all these serial killers or like, you know, because that's a yeah. that was a big thing during yeah. that show yeah. was that like, oh, why are we talking about Dahmer and, right. and what he did and like right. making it seem like because I remember like the victims, par- like the parents of the victims were like, no, we don't want this, mm-hmm. but they did it anyways. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a whole court thing. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. where it gets really sensitive. You know yeah. what I mean? Because it's real stuff. Mm-hmm. That they turn into a show. A show, right. And I think, you know, we discussed that a lot, too, because there was parts of the show 
that I thought were good in the sense that they really did give a platform to show how victims um, engage in that court system and how those victims, Dahmer's victims' family, you know, you saw them giving their um, impact statements. You saw their reactions. Yeah, in like that the show. court scenes. Yeah, kind of, and which is all very true. Um, but I, it's a double-edged sword. Where yes, they'd showcase that, which was nice, but they're they're still giving that like a notoriety to a serial, a serial killer. killer. Yeah, and then it's it's always then they push the victim to the side and they don't think about you're re-traumatizing the victims' families. That's the biggest thing I think. Crime shows don't are not vicariously trauma informed yeah. slash they're vic- taking advantage of their trauma yeah, they're taking advantage yeah. completely of yeah it, right yeah. yeah which is unfortunate that's why we are very uh conscious about making sure that we're not re-traumatizing victims and mm-hmm. so if they are very adamant that i don't want to be part of my case it's it's too much for me mm-hmm. uh it is our responsibility to look at other avenues to find justice Support, for them yeah. Um, without forcing them to have to to engage if it's going to be too much. And then we do that a lot, especially with um, cases involving children, because that's a lot of um, trauma f- to them to have to be in a witness stand and, and have to tell their story. Yeah. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when 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 is it the most rewarding for you when you do your job? Ooh, just like just today <laughs> when <laughs> I had a guilty verdict in um, a very intense sexual assault case. Um uh with uh children that are not adults actually um so yeah very terrible it was very terrible case but um it's when you know you see the jurors take their time and actually like um do do a community-based job which is like giving a voice to the victim but i think for me personally because i uh, work a lot with um children and um, sexual assault of children um it is those are the most rewarding because the child you know, they're engaged and they're not, but the parents are very engaged. And so when they see, okay, Ari is, you know, keeping me up to date with the case. Ari is making sure that they knows what's going on, uh, how we're feeling, um, making sure that they get to read their victim impact statements. Um, and then all the, all the way at the end, you know, we get either a guilty or a, a good plea form that they like. That yeah. Cause, has terms. Because how does that, so again, like that's terrible, but like right. the child, you know, who is the victim? Right. Again, you have to work with yeah, we, that, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And, have and to depends on the age too. I have victims that are like seven, and then I have victims that are like sixteen. And yeah. you know, some are like, I don't really want to be pure, but I already spoke out, and so now I'm here. And then there's some that are really engaged. Um, and we just we That's meet so them where they're, we meet them where they're at. You know that yeah. you know if I was fourteen and I had to like come to the day's office and they're giving me all this legal jargon, I'm just gonna want to be on my phone yeah. looking at like tiktok you know um but the parents are like what's going on and we also we're very clear to parents that this you're not the victim (laughs) your child's the victim yes Yes. you have parental rights you have legal decisions that you can make but your child has a voice and we actually um have the parents step out when we speak to the child because we wanted them to get a sense of empowerment because that's the biggest thing someone took the power from them right Mm -hmm. and what's like What's the difference from the parents' right versus the children' right? Like, where where does that boundary go? Uh, it's delicate. The parents, as their legal guardian, because minors cannot make decisions, so to speak, about, um, you know, plea forms all the way. Um, they, you know, they couldn't sign something legally. That's where the parent needs to come in. But they can give us their feelings and opinions, and we do weigh that 
when we are creating a plea offer. Um, but in terms of uh, can, a, you know, a, when a child's going to testify, their parent has to give permission uh, or receive that subpoena saying, OK, I received the subpoena. My child's going to come to court. Because usually these cases are reported by the parents, uh, right? By the parents or by... Because the child tells the parents what happened. That's actually a misconception. So the child, uh, the last person that's going to know if someone was, the child was sexually abused is going to actually be the parent. The child most likely is going to disclose to... Um, a mandated reporter, which is either a school counselor, a school teacher. They might have done told their friend who told the friend's mom. Gotcha. Um, yeah. But some, sometimes they do tell their parents, but in my I know what you mean. Yeah, I know. Okay. It's been I the last it. person yeah. that knows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And I think that's like really sad. <laughs> well, those cases are really those are hard. The, those, those are, the are hard cases. The hardest yeah. to prosecute. Uh, yeah. We have, we you know, uh, uh, this is a good sharing point where uh, during COVID, uh, in Marin County, in terms of uh, forensic interviews of children, maybe we would see like 60 a year. Um, in the time between COVID and like the beginning of 2021, let's say in the first six months of 2021, we had already seen 60 cases just within six months. Yeah. Um, and so that tells told us... Because more people were inside. Yeah, a lot of uh, stuff was happening during 2020 when people, when kids were, you know, studying from home. home. And oh, then also a lot yeah. of um, kids are actually wanting to disclose and coming forward. So there's a, it's, it's a balancing act mm-hmm. of us being proud that they're saying something. Yeah. But also the fact that because of COVID, there's a lot of kids that were in situations that they wouldn't have been because they would have been in school. Right. Um, and so just to give That's a perspective crazy. of, yeah. And those are har- the hardest to prove because it's, it's the kid versus the adult. Most of the time there are usually never any witnesses because it's happening behind closed doors in a bedroom. And so to try to prove those are very, very hard. And so out of the 60, maybe only 10, can get filed um and uh that's the hardest that's the hardest part of our job is to have to relay that to the parents and and work with them on those feelings uh we still say that we we believe them it's not that we don't believe them it's right it's just being able to prove it and meeting that standard of proof that's difficult yeah Mm, yeah Yeah, because why would a child lie exactly something like that something like that and and they give something they give incredible detail but there's just nothing else to back it up besides their statement and in court someone's statement against someone else's statement is not enough for a jury to convict they want to see evidence they want to see someone else that might have another victim that might have been a victim of yeah. that person or like oh that's so messed know. up that yeah. and it's like, that's the system, system itself you know that's yeah, where that's crime itself. shows are not helpful <laughs> because <laughs> crime shows are like evidence physical evidence dna you know they have something. all the evidence in the world yeah, and it's like yeah. that's literally and because kids are never going to come out and say anything when it first happened it's going to be three years later two years later i had a case where the kid it, it he was six when it happened and he didn't come out until 21 and we still were able to prosecute and we 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 uh, were able to get a verdict and that's only because he was able to in a uh, with law enforcement help ruse his abuser to actually admit to some of the acts but we had no physical evidence at all i mean he was six and now he's 21 where's the evidence so there's hope though you know so we have uh just uh two more minutes left so i actually wanted to just let do you have any last words you'd like to share with the with our viewers today? Oh, yes. Yeah. So I think um, you had just touched a little bit about um, victims, uh, National Victims Rights Week. And so right. I just wanted to let everyone know that um, the district attorney's office uh, is still having an ongoing um, event. It's called the Paper Crane Project. Okay. And so basically it's um, we have it set up in our office and anyone wants to come and fill out 
on origami paper and they fold it into a paper crane. And inside, we write messages of support to survivors. Um, and we're going to have that all the way till the end of May. And then that gets sent to a foundation called the 720 Foundation that um, makes the wreaths and sends them to victims and survivors of all kinds of crimes, but also um, survivors of mass violence crimes. Gotcha. Um, so if anyone wants to come and fill one out for support, we would appreciate it. Um, and also, don't feel uh, scared to engage our um, unit. We're here to answer any questions, any misconceptions. Um, uh, that's pretty much why we're here, to just make sure that you're given the, the correct information about either your case or if you want to decide to report something. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Ari, for being on our show today. Uh, we really discussed a whole lot. You did. And there's a lot really, again, yeah. uh, mind-opening. Like, yeah. you know, it's crazy. Uh, but thank you all for watching. We'll catch you all next week on our next show. And take care. Thank you, Goodbye, everyone. everyone. Bye. Bye-bye.